Hey there folks, Alex Lux here, and welcome to Classic Camera Revival. Big, big show today. We have two awesome photographers on today's episode. Matt Betchberger pitches the new Ravini spot meter, and then from across the pond, Anil Mystery has a plethora of cameras to discuss, so let's not waste time and roll the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, folks, before um, we get to the main um, interview of our show today, we have Matt back on the show and here to pitch to us a, uh, a new uh, light meter from Ravini Labs that will have just launched on Kickstarter by the time you're hearing this. So, Matt, tell us about your new project. Uh, hey, so, uh, so what I wanted to do was um, create an affordable and uh, modern and uh, small size uh, digital uh, spot meter. So um, uh, spot meters are really popular, especially with large format photographers. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're quite expensive though. Um, like a brand new modern spot meter is five or $600 US. Absolutely. And, and they aren't cheap on the used market either. Yeah. And the used ones, um, even, even ones from the sixties are still like well over a hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. could be $200. I paid um, about 150 for my, um, spot meter five. <laughs> The second time I bought it, I paid less when I bought it the first time. Hmm. Yeah, I, I bought one that was broken, badly broken for about $35 <laughs> at an auction. I managed to fix it. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they they command a high price. So I, I felt like there was an, op, uh, an opportunity there. Um, so I designed a, a spot meter that uses um, a little bit of a different method to uh, to aim. Um, it, it doesn't involve uh, pass-through optics. It oh. is uh, it's completely... Um, opaque on the inside uh, and the way that it works is there's um, there's a sensor lens and there's a sensor mm -hmm. then there's a uh, an internal screen with an aiming reticle as well as all the data readout and oh, then there's wow. a viewing lens on the on the rear um, so um, it has a uh, uh, it has a very small um, body because uh, there's no uh, look through optics um, and when you, when you hold it to your eye, um, you get a virtual view. It, it, essentially, in one eye, you get the, the data, and the meter obscures your vision in that eye. But you have your second eye, which allows you to uh, view the scene. And your brain will combine the view from both eyes together, and you get a, like a virtual overlay in your brain. Oh, wow. So it's, so it's it, kind of it's like an imaginary uh, view. Gives you a heads-up display. A little bit, yeah. It's kind of like a heads-up display. Um, nice. It's it's, uh, it's more similar to um, uh, like a, a non-magnifying um, optical sight on a gun. Um, okay. Where you where it, the where the optics of the sight are sort of fixed on this on the sight itself and mounted to the gun. So imagine that the, the barrel of the gun is the is the sensor and okay. the, and then the um, like a red dot sight on the gun is a viewfinder. Mm. Um, they're they're bound together. And right. then because there's because there's some optics involved in the site itself, um, you, you, the position of your head and the distance of your head does not impact the uh, direction, uh, the apparent direction that the viewfinder and the and the sensor are aiming. Nice. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not extremely intuitive, uh, you know, to hear a description of how it works. But when you use it, it's actually very intuitive. Okay. Um, and uh, and it works quite well. And uh, it also um, because uh, because of that lens on the on the backside, um, you uh, you can use it with glasses as well. It uh, basically the distance between your eye, yeah, the distance between your eye and the uh, meter is um, about an inch and a half. Like from an inch and a half away, you can see the entire internal screen. Oh wow! Um, so uh, it works fine with glasses. So if you're out there with sunglasses or you need prescription glasses, um, yeah, it, it's totally fine. Wow! Um, so that's a nice feature too. Yeah, so so what sort of features does this have? Like, if someone say is um, a fan and uses his own system a lot, can you sort of tell it to like, here's your, sh here's my shadows, here's my black point, here's my highlight white point? Will it sort of give you an average um, exposure? 
Yep. So there's three modes. There's uh, there's a single mode. There's a two spot averaging mode, and then there's a mode called uh, precision metering method, which uh, is essentially an extension of the zone system that was created by Nick Carver. Okay. He's a YouTuber. Uh, yeah, I've heard of YouTuber. I've heard of him. We'll make sure we uh, include a link to that in uh, the episode yeah. notes. So him and I developed. He has this system that he calls the precision method to manual metering. Right. Uh, and him and I developed. Um, a version of that, basically the, that ver- that um, method, which involves um, a paper chart, essentially, for picking. Um, essentially, what, what you do is you you pick a spot in the in the scene and you apply a descriptor to it. Okay. Um, so if you're looking at a if you're looking at a light gray rock, you might describe that as being very very bright. Right. Uh, and uh, and so you you pick these descriptor words. Um, sort of leveraging your human brain's ability to judge brightness with the meter's ability to measure brightness um, in a more like scientific way, like in an right. in in absolute way. Um, and so you uh, you pick a tone out of the out of the scene, and then you using the meter uh, you pick that tone. Then you use the arrow keys on the meter to select the 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 the, the wording that um, that you equate that to. So if it's a if it's a light gray rock, you might say uh, very bright. Or somewhat okay. bright, right? Um, and then the meter then takes that and says, "Okay, well, if this rock uh, or if this thing you pointed me at is very bright, then middle gray must be this, and it will compute what the middle gray should be." Okay. Then uh, the meter has a compare function. So you, uh, when you press and hold the menu button, that puts it in compare mode. You can then look at other parts of the scene, and it will tell you what the text is for those parts. So if you look at the shadow, it tells you it's very dark. Uh, or you look at something that you might expect to be middle gray, and it says middle gray. Okay. Uh, and then you look at something that's like, uh, let's say you look at the top of edge of a cloud, it might say textureless white or something like that. Right. So it basically splits splits everything into eleven. So they're essentially zones. Splits them into eleven zones. Yep. Um, but the but rather than just being zone one, zone two, zone three, an arbitrary distinction, the zones are uh, named with words with with. With descriptive text. Oh, that would that makes life so much easier. Yeah, it's kind of cool, um, and it's much more certainly much more intuitive than the standard zone system involving you know zone numbers. Yeah, exactly. It can be a little overwhelming for someone who never worked with it and can't make heads or tails of what Ansel Adams wrote. Right. Uh, and the other cool thing that uh, that the meter lets you do so in, in Nick Carver's method, where you're using a paper chart to equate. Uh, essentially equating exposure values to text using a, using a written chart. If you have a film with a different sensitivity or different la- uh, latitude range, you have right. to use a different chart. So if you, there's basically a chart for slide film, there's a chart for, for black and white, white color negative. Okay. Um, the, the, in, in the Reveni Lab spot meter, it's actually got the ability that you can change the high and low limit. Oh, so you can nice. say that uh, textureless white is plus five stops mm-hmm. and textureless black is minus five stops five or stops. textureless white is you can do it but you they're independent as well so you can say plus four stops and minus two stops so basically that means that if you are selecting um if you select a spot that you're calling textureless black and you've set textureless black to be negative two it's just it's just sliding the scale right up and down um oh, wow. so so you can adjust it for your film. So if you if you run a batch of tests and actually determine your your specific film's latitude manually, or you're just getting like rules of thumb latitude, um, or or something from the manufacturer uh, data sheet, uh, you can load that into the meter and actually set the, the 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 latitude range. So the meter knows what the latitude range is of your film. Oh, that is so cool. It's really yeah, it's really neat. It's a really powerful system um, and. Uh, with Nick Carver's, you know, uh, combined help, we baked it into, right, baked it right into the meter. So there's no more paper oh. chart. There's no more multiple paper charts for different film stocks. It's all <laughs> carrying roasted all right that in. around with you in uh, in your camera yeah, bag and, and yeah, and having to convert like so with his method uh, on his uh, his meter of choice is the uh, Pentax digital spot meter. So you'd have to mm-hmm. read off the EV from inside the viewfinder, set it on the ring. He yep. actually makes a little sticker that you put onto the outer ring. You yep. have to set it on that ring and then you have to use your chart to infer this number means this descriptor text. It's right. this, it was like a four step process or something. Now it's all baked right into the meter. Awesome. Um, it's, it's really cool. Um, so that's one of the modes. The other modes are just single, single like standard mode basically. 
sample pick one spot. Target. So you pick your target. Yeah, you press and hold the power button. Power the power button's also the sample button. Right. Press and hold. Um, you get a reading. Uh, when you let go, it locks it. And then you can pick your shutter and aperture um, choices from there. But then yep. if you press and hold the menu button, it puts it into compare mode. So you can check the, the relative EV from right. one spot to another um, just to just to get yep. a better sense of the scene latitude and stuff. That's and then right. there's a two-spot averaging mode. That one, when you enter that mode, the screen changes. It says pick your shadow. You pick your shadow. We'll then your it says pick your highlight. You pick the highlight. And while you're, while you're holding down the, the sample button and you're looking around yep. the scene, it, it will show you. It shows you the, the the shadow you just caught. It shows you the uh, highlight in real time, and it shows you the difference between them, the EV difference. So if you do uh, the use delta EV, the traditional uh, traditional zone system, it allows you to find those five stops. Yeah. Of difference between your highlights. It'll let you and see your what your what your stop differences are. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And then. Uh, um, and then, uh, so so then basically you, you pick the shadow that you want detail in, you pick the highlight you want detail in, and it will, it just basically splits the difference and gives you that as your right. um, metered uh, reading. And then you can compare that again if you want to compare against other parts of your, of your right, scene. Right, right. Like if your subject was not, usually your subject isn't the darkest nope. uh, detail or the brightest detail you want. So nope. um, it lets you recompare to you know what you're actually interested in in catching in the scene, your your subject or important parts, and um, and confirm your exposure that way. Make sure that you're happy with what you got. Nice. Well, um, it looks and then, like uh, you. If and... you're familiar with the. Yep, Sorry, what? Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it's very similar to the. I mean, it's it's built upon the Revenue Labs light meter, the hot shoe meter, right. uh, where it's um, it's got a it's got a very similar set of you know of uh, of functions. Um, yep. And uh, but 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 in a in a spot meter way, and yep. with this viewfinding um, two eye viewfinding system uh, yep. implemented, so it's yeah. still very small. It's about two and a half inches long. Okay. Uh, it's uh, so it's, it's very very compact. It's very light. It's like mm -hmm. thirty grams. It's very light. Oh. Um. So it's really easy to, to backpack. Like it's yeah. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's no it's no burden um, physically, uh, which is nice because. No, some of these, especially like the you know the the Pentax uh, spot meter V, like we were talking about, like I think this yep. thing weighs more than a pound. Um, yep. I have one, and it, it's you know you could you could beat somebody to death with it. It's not even made <laughs> out of metal, and it's still I mean it's yeah. it's barely got any. It's mostly plastic, and it still weighs like over a pound. So it's oh, yeah. it's just it's a, all it's the optics and the mirrors inside. Yeah, the prisms and stuff. So yeah. Um, no. So it's it's a big uh, it's a big step towards miniaturization. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and adding some, you know, advanced features without excessive clutter, like some of those Siconic, like a Siconic uh, 758, it's got like 12 or 15 buttons on it. Like it's just littered with buttons and, and, and it's got all these, you know, um, like studio, studio only features that, you know, that yeah. the, the average large format users probably doing landscape or architecture or something yep. there's not as much studio certainly not as much uh work with flash going on like like people used to do um yeah. you know nobody nobody's doing product photography with large format anymore no not uh, to the same so, extent still a lot yeah. of people using large format for portraiture like matt Marash yeah portraiture is still that. life yeah um matt Marash actually has one of these i sent him one um a couple awesome. of weeks ago and he, sp he spent some time with it uh his uh, not his most recent uh, large format Friday video, but the one before. He does a walkabout in um, in a park, and uh, okay. and you can see him using it. He uh, he blurred it a little bit. Uh, I I um I hadn't announced it I, yet, so he was I using it. And he, so. he was blurring like, something. Yeah. Wait a minute, that's not his normal Sakonic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but by the time his video came out, he uh, I had announced it on Instagram that it uh, oh, okay. was no longer a secret project. So nice. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, and then he's, I'm, he's I'm looking forward to well. uh, I'm looking forward to getting mine and uh, trying it out. So I'll definitely mm -hmm. be backing it on Kickstarter. And Great. probably by the time this what day are you launching it? The Kickstarter is coming out on February eighth. Okay. And it will run for 30 days, so till March okay. 10th or so. So there'll be some time. So by the time everyone's hearing this, I will have already backed it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yep. Um, and um, um, so it's it's. Uh, I'm planning to ship in August 2021. Okay. Awesome. Um, it's basically the same timeline as the last Kickstarter for the yep. for the Hot Shoe Meter. Um, you know, all the same. I mean, it's there. 
they're very similar products in a lot of ways. Uh, so mm-hmm. the whole manufacturing stream is basically the same. Um, awesome. This is essentially just a pre-order. I'm using Kickstarter essentially is just as a pre-ordering system to to garner, uh, you know, like a, a large initial volume basically and make sure that it's actually something people are interested in. Makes um, sense. So, so that's why it's on, on Kickstarter again. Kickstarter is good for that, you know, yep. um, but, uh, and, it, and it gets... Uh, um, it gets more, you know, eyes on it that way too. So, absolutely. Um, so that'll be great. Uh, and um, so that, yeah, so that'll be out um, by the time people are listening to this. That'll be available. It, the price Excellent. is uh, two hundred and twenty-five dollars Canadian. That's about yep. one hundred and eighty-five US right now. Makes sense. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's you know well under the new like any other new oh, um, yeah. spot meter. It's it's like a third of the price. Yep. Um, and um, meets a lot of the needs of, of a spot meter of like a current film shooters, you know, spot meter mm-hmm. needs. Uh, so um, I think it's, I think it's going to, you know, uh, meet the needs of a lot of people uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, help, help uh, get people into spot metering uh, if they're put off by the pricing. Cause a lot of them are, I mean, you see people spending like over $400 for uh, one of these mm-hmm. uh, Pentax, digital spot meters from the eighties. Like they're, it's yeah. an old piece of electronics and uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed they're still working uh, as long as they have been Yeah. Uh, <laughs> considering. Um, so, so yeah, so, um, so February 8th, that's coming out and yeah. uh, uh, should be pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, best of luck. Um, you uh, crushed it on your first one. So let's hope that lightning uh, strikes twice. Um, yeah, Matt, thank crossed. you. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much for uh, coming on to Classic Camera Revival again and uh, launching this. I know you're uh, a busy, busy man doing the podcast circuit again, and hopefully we can uh, actually get out and get shooting and uh, have a beer soon. Yeah, someday. It'd be nice. Maybe, I mean, hopefully by the, uh, by the, by the end of this year, at least like maybe that's, I hope that's not a lofty goal end of 2021 it's an optimistic goal and and (laughs) these years optimism is uh really what helps keeps us going right yeah all right yeah so hopefully uh hopefully sooner than later yes okay thank you again (laughs) yeah thanks a lot okay and welcome back to the classic camera revival and today we have another wonderful guest on the show from across the pond so Everyone's familiar with Stephen Dowling. He's been on our show twice. But if you're a um, regular reader of Emulsive or are on many of the Facebook groups, you would have heard of Anil. And Anil has agreed to come on the show and talk about a large selection of cameras. So Anil, please introduce yourself. Who are you? Why do you love photography so much? Hello, Alex. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. Well, hello, everyone. My my name is Anil Mystery. I live in Shoreham-by-Sea in the UK, uh, so that's on the south coast uh, near a city called Brighton. Um, I, well, spent my life as a creative. I studied graphic design um, and animation as a degree. I then worked in TV for quite a number of years as a creative director and director, Um, and now I work as a freelance creative director, so I, I work across all sorts of creative stuff from art design filmmaking digital stuff and i help come up with ideas to help people sell shit basically um in the simplest way so throughout my creative journey um i've i've done a lot of directing uh be it film directing tv directing uh, and i work with cameras but it's only i would say really in the past five years that i really got into photography um and started to really uh, get excited by film cameras um, and well in the past five years I've like a lot of people do when they start uh, getting into a hobby um, I kind of go all in and I've amassed quite a lot of cameras I spent a lot of time hanging around in charity shops wherever I went uh, in this country and others and wherever I could I'd just find all those waifs and strays hidden away on shelves um, that people weren't buying weirdly just before this show I I I'm going to talk about some cameras today, but I just thought I'd have a quick look on eBay, and it's it's absolutely gone crazy. The the, the sort of prices of things now, even simple. Oh yeah, it's, it's mad, nuts. isn't it? Absolute nuts. <laughs> I I can't believe it. I think what's happened is because there are some you know well known 
cameras out there uh, and they've they, those prices have skyrocketed so that the sort of second tier of cameras beneath those has started to fly up from there uh, but yeah I mean my my photography journey started with just um, buying I, I can't remember what I well actually it's, I suppose it's the Nikon FM3A um, I I actually I'd say it's mine, but it's actually my wife's. I, uh, I bought it for her in uh, 2006. I was um, working for Disney at the time in London. It was nearly Christmas. I was a bit drunk. And as men do, they have a last minute Christmas gift buying panic for their wives. And um, my wife had an, an old Olympus M1 from her art college day, uh, died. And I thought I'll buy her a film camera. Um, so I went into a local sh- uh, shop in the centre of London and I said, I want a camera. And this was what, 2006 when digital cameras were really starting to come in. And um, they, they were trying to push me to a digital. And I said, no, I want the best film camera you've got. And they pulled out this Nikon FM3A, uh, which I bought for her. Um, and um, over the years, she never really used it. And one day we were moving house and I saw this gold box with Nikon written on it. And I opened it up and there was this spanking brand new fm3a (laughs) um so i pulled it out and i started to use that um uh with a few lenses and then uh following that i just started to buy more and more cameras and it became uh yeah went a bit crazy i've got all (laughs) yeah i've got all sorts in front of me but um i i found through my sort of journey I've, i've you know bought and sold lots of different ones and found the sort of cameras that work for what I like to do because uh, I, I I like to do a lot of street photography and I like to shoot portraits and street portraits and my style is uh, it, it's always a challenge with film because film you know as you know sort of forces you to slow down quite a bit uh, but my style sometimes is quite rapid and quite reactive I, I I'm not patient I don't like to hang around and take time you know if, if I was trying to shoot uh, shoot l- large format I think I'd just kick the camera over and run away screaming it was uh kind of that style of photography I think is the opposite to what I like and there's there's nothing wrong with that that's the joy of film photography is that you make it what you want you just shoot how you enjoy and and all that I mean I'm with you I can I can go on a street photography trip with um four rolls of film and end up shooting all four within a couple hours <laughs> Yeah, the, the film, the film excitement. If anything, actually, I would say over the last uh, last twelve months, I've actually slowed down and shot a lot less film, simply for economic reasons. I mean, since mm. lockdown has kicked in, yeah. Um, my my, I work freelance, and you know, my, my income has dropped massively because uh, a lot of the companies uh, and agencies I work with, because um, I work a lot in live events and things, a lot of those just died. So yeah, the cost of film has become a bit of an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Um, which has forced me into half frame and I can talk about that later but um, I, I would say over lockdown I've been shooting probably more digital than film simply because it I can go out for a long walk and I can shoot things and come back and see them straight away um, but this morning just before getting on this show I thought I'm going to take a look through the past few years of film photography I've been doing and, and weirdly I, I'm just sort of aching to shoot film again because uh-huh. uh, don't get me wrong I love digital and it's you know as a as I work as a professional photographer as well so you can't beat it it's you know when you're out there on a shoot you kind of need to work in that with that kit uh but just looking at some of the film shots I got and the colors and the the grain and just the quality it's it's there's just something beautiful about it and um, yeah I, I I'm missing it and also just seeing what you get from different cameras and different film stocks Mm, different developers, the whole the whole mess. I'm I'm rediscovering my love of digital as well. I just picked up a Nikon D750. Yes, and just the full frame. It's just like, oh, this is what I was missing in my digital photography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a D750 and a D850, um, nice. and they are they're just superb cameras. And again, what I love about the Nikon system is I can swap my lenses from my film cameras to my digital ones which that's uh, why i that's why i went with the uh, 750 because my first dslr was a d7 d70s and then i went to a d300 so i had a whole range of lenses already because i had started with an f80 so the um so i just kept my lenses as it just flowed through i have the f5 the f90 well had the f90 i gave that to bill smith um so it just made sense to go go back to uh 
Nikon for the uh, for the uh, full frame digital SLR. I do love the F ninety. I have a, an F ninety X. Okay, um, so the improved uh, version. Yeah, they're just great. I mean, in a way, I, I sort of look. You know, it's it's great because it gives you that sort of speed of digital. It's really scary when you have a a film camera that lets you, that automatically winds on the film for you because suddenly <laughs> you're using it like a DSLR and you're cracking away at shots. But oh, they, those things are they're great value as well. The F ninety X. I mean, it's essentially a stripped down F four, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Uh, it is such good value, and it's one of the the Nikon film cameras out there that is just available at a great price. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to get a great, you know, it's almost who who needs a uh, Contax G2 when you've got the F90X. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <So>, serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have a wide grid of cameras. You sent me this earlier. Um, so let's just start with the point and shoot. Um, I just recently purchased and shot two rolls before the camera died through a Pentax PC35AF. And I noticed that that is one of the cameras that you have included, the second model, the AF-M. Yeah. So and, tell me about this. Yeah, I. It, this is one of the cameras. I've got about four of these. Uh, they are very, very common. And you can, I've picked a lot up at car boot sales and charity shops along the way. And so they were made by Pentax in the eighties. Uh, PC 30, there was the PC 35 AF, which looked a bit like an Olympus XA, which had a hand, uh, winder. Mm. Um, and then the PC 35 AF, um, M, um, has, uh, auto winds on the film for you. It's got autofocus. So it's got an F 30, uh, 35 mil F 2.8 lens and a built-in flash. Now, what I love about this camera, it's got a super sharp lens, which is very contrasty, and the flash is really powerful. And as a point and shoot out there, you know, if you're, if you can't afford a, um, you know, Olympus Mu2 or, or an, a Yashica T5, um, I recommend this camera. Now, I actually had a Yashica T5, which I sold, uh, because um, I actually prefer this Pentax. The, the it's, super sharp and when you use a flash and you've got color or black and white film in there you get such gorgeous punchy shots and the sort of bang for buck you get out of this camera is incredible um mm. i'm really really pleased with it well, you've got the af af version and i've got the afm yeah. what's the difference um the uh the pc um the pc 35 af lacks the um auto winder right built in yeah. so it has that dial and again that's the first thing that i notice about it i'm like this is this is kind of like an xa yeah the the overall design and general feel of it is it is that it's an autofocus xa and i notice the same thing the lens is just brilliant um i there, think there, there are, are there are some on. there are some difficulties with it that i had mainly the autofocus gets um messed up in damp conditions the the uh, sensor doesn't really um work too well or maybe it's just because mine was just so beat up i mean i think i paid like five bucks for it at a garage sale yeah so they're they're, they're just lovely and they're also they've got metal bodies uh, as far as i can actually you know it's just a very dense plastic um yeah. and a metal base but they are just so good and they're, they're very very readily available in fact there are quite a lot of these around the 80s there were lots of f2.8 uh point and shoots there's the oh yeah uh, Canon Sure Shot Supreme, which I think is called the Auto Boy. Um, any Canon 80s autofocus camera with a 2.8 lens. I mean, just look around. There are lots of lots of brands that made them, and they're all really really good. There's the Nikon L35 AF and AF2 mm -hmm. and L135 AF. They're all very similar, but uh, the ones with if you can find the ones with the 2.8 lens, they are just generally all much of a muchness and really really decent. And so compared to the Olympus Muta, you don't need to sort of, you know, throw away that kind of money um, no. to get a good one. No. And speaking of the Mewtwo, you have one here, or as <laughs> we in North America um, call them, the Stylus Epic. Yes, I have. I've got four of these. Um, and uh, again, these were, these, these cameras were made in their millions and they were in every kitchen sink drawer across the world. 
really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so they are still, I mean, it, it's in the past few years, people have started to know what they're selling. In You even go to car boot sales, charity stores, they'll check prices on eBay before they put it up in the store. And I never feel bad about that. If you're going into a charity store, it's for charity. So, you know, mm. I don't want to, that, that's fair enough. Um, but I've never paid more than three. The most I paid for mine was three pounds. Okay, and, so uh, that's about six bucks Canadian. Yeah, and the other three I got for 50 pence each at oh. uh, car boot sales. So I'd always look through, people would always have, um, you know, a box of all cables and crap. Um, and I'd root through those boxes and they would always appear in those. And yeah, I mean, what can I say? The Mewtwo is, what's great about it, I suppose it's one of the last newest um 35mm f2.8 point and shoots. It's incredibly compact. It's, you know, full of lots of great technology and it's so hands, um, you know, handheld. It's such a compact size. Personally, I actually think the shape of the Olympus Mu1, uh, which has got a 3.5 lens, is better ergonomically because the problem with the Mu2 is the top button, the shutter button, is, is a very stretched oval shape. Mm-hmm. And due to the shape of the top ridge of the camera, you can accidentally sort of miss the button. Um, whereas the Mu1 is just slightly larger and just slightly ergonomically, just slightly better to hold. But these cameras are now going to going for up to 300 pounds. Oh yeah. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Oh, something that you, that your, uh, your aunt or your mom would buy to do family snapshots and you can, uh, you can buy a decent starter Hasselblad for, uh. Well, th- this is th- this is the point. I mean, that's actually why I sold my Yoshika T5. I mean, I bought that thing for about three years ago for about £260 and it was boxed and it was in good condition, beautiful mint condition. I sold it for, you know, almost twice that. Um, but firstly, in terms of response, the camera is just sometimes there's a, an ever so slight delay between you shoot, hit, hitting the button and it taking the shot, which always, always bugged me. Um also, I think the problem is when you start paying that kind of money for a point and shoot, you're, you're, you become very precious with it. Mm-hmm. And I got rid of a bunch of cameras that I was being too precious with because of what I paid for them, if that makes sense. No, it makes um, perfect sense. Yeah. So I like these cameras that are a bit more beaten up and you're not afraid of. And, and you know, you're not going to cry if they if they die on you because you've got drawers full of them. And <laughs> the, yeah, the thing about these is I, I've just recently been looking through drawers. Now, people go crazy for these 80 point, 1980s point and shoots. But there are so many sort of uh, great ones from the 90s um, that people are ignoring at the moment because, again, they they're just not in the news i suppose but they're or they're not a popular brand or model but you have to remember that you know the the 90s point and shoots took all the great technology from the 80s point and shoots and moved it on so they're actually technically a lot better and i think the problem is they don't look as cool a lot of them they look quite plasticky and silver everything went became that silver plastic silver stuff in the 90s every car every car became silver didn't it Um, um and so you know, for me, it's it's nice to have the Mewtwo. Uh, would I pay that full rate for it now? Uh, probably not, because there's so no. many other things out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have um, one here that I actually do not recognize. Um, Is it the Canon? No. It's the one with the barn doors. The barn doors. Ah, right. Okay. Well, that is... I got that recently. Now, that is uh it's a rangefinder point and shoot i suppose it's called the chin on bellamy or bellamy which i think means beautiful friend in french um i discovered this because uh bellamy from a japan camera hunter uh did a little piece on it uh recently um because he was given one at a camera fair by a, a Japanese guy, uh, because obviously it's called Bellamy. And um, yeah. the chin on Bellamy is, the best way I can describe it is, it is a, a chin-on version of the Olympus XA, um, XA2. So it's a small, compact rangefinder-style camera. Uh, the great thing about it is it's, yeah, it's got these really cool little barn doors on the front. So when you open the sh- pull back the shutter lever, um, the film wind lever, uh, it opens the barns door, barn doors and the lens pops out. It's a 35mm 2.8 lens. And I've got about four or five Olympus XA2s. And this thing is exactly the size of the XA2. What bothers me about the XA2 is the shutter button, oh. which is a very flat piece of plastic. And it it's not reliable. You don't get a proper... It can be either super sensitive 
or not sensitive at all. So you can miss the shot um, or not get the shot at all. The great thing about this chin on, it has a proper metal button that presses down and you know you've taken the shot. The other thing about this that I like is the XA2 only has very discrete, specific positions for distance. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously these things are, um, you know, um, aperture priority. So, you know, if you're set at 1.5 meters, you're gonna get a bit in front of that and behind that. But this uh, camera has, you know, you've got all those positions, but you can essentially, in effect, focus the lens to whatever distance you want. Um, and it feels to me a lot more robust than the Olympus XA. Two, and it's generally price-wise about the same price. It's, it has the attachable flash just like the XA, and I think it was essentially brought out as a copy um, of the XA2 at the time that the XA2 XA came out. Nice. Uh, but I highly recommend this because I, I, I f- it's such a cute camera as well. It just feels very stylish, and apparently there's a there's a red version uh, which has got red suede on it. Uh, yeah and um, it does look very very cool so it's one I do recommend I've just noticed it started to zoom up in price again as well Um, so get get your hands on a chin on Bellamy B-E-L-L-A-M-I if you can find one wow I spelled that right yeah (laughs) must be my high school French (laughs) (laughs) très bien Um, now you mentioned the Canon earlier so multi-tele yeah, so this I believe was called the Auto Boy um, something something. Um, I think all the Canon Shaw shots were what they were called in Europe, and they were all called Auto Boys in the in the states and everywhere else. Yeah. So this is a really really cool camera. So it's a an eighties point and shoot. It's called the Canon Shaw Shot Multi Tele. Now this is a bloody great camera. What I like about this camera is that, um, firstly, you can shoot full frame or half frame, and that is fantastic. So you, it's an it's a full frame or half frame autofocus point and shoot. It's, um, you, pr- you press a uh, button at the back. Um, how do you do it? Oh, no, it's when you open up the, the film back, you can push a switch in and it pulls in two blinds, which sort of cover up the film plane to make it half frame. Um, the great, other great thing about this camera is that it has two lenses. Um, well, one lens, but it zooms out. So you can either shoot at 35 mil or at 80 mil. Um, and it's a very strange camera because uh, covering the lens, there is a sort of semi-clear cover. And when you sh- when you set it to the zoom mode, when you press the shoot button, the, the little door at the front opens and almost like a cuckoo clock, the lens pokes out at a really large extent um, to take the shot. And then it pokes back in and it's, it's the most surreal thing. Um, and this, this is a fantastic camera. Um, if you're after something for, uh, to shoot half frame and again, this saves you money, um, and then, uh, give this one a try. I, I love the fact that, you know, you can crack off 72 shots with a roll of 36. Um, <laughs> I, I shuddered at that. I, I have I sometimes have trouble getting through a roll of 36 if I'm I'm not really in the mood but I'm I'm a little better than I was I've been shooting less large format recently because cold and you know not really having any place to go worthy of of the 4x5 so I'm a, I'm a little more okay with half frame but I would yeah. definitely just get a 24 exposure roll See, I've, I've got no problem with the role of, you know, shooting half frame. There's always other cameras knocking around that hats have are shooting at, you know, regular. So if I, you know, want to speed up, I can shoot one of the others um, and not get stressed about the camera sitting there. I think that's one of my problems. I'm sure you have the same thing is I, I go through my cupboard and every other camera has got half a roll in it. Oh, not here. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't do that. No, I have trouble leaving uh, undeveloped rolls of film sitting around for uh too long ah yeah I, I i imagine you develop your own film right all my own black and white uh i see i i don't develop i i i'm an impatient person i i don't have the time the wherewithal or the, the patience to to develop film um i i send it off to a lab and i think for me that's one of the problems with the, the cost of it all you know now the last point of shoot here is the medium format version of the uh Lomo LCA Plus, and I just recently got the 35 millimeter version of the LCA Plus, and just an absolute brilliant. Um, what do you camera. think of it? I love it. It's just so simple. What do you think of it, Alex? Hello. Hello, Alex. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. I'm sorry, I lost you for a while there. Yeah. Okay. No worries. 
Um, the LCA Plus, no, I, I think it's great. Um, just You just swing it up, take the shot, don't have to worry too much about it. Just makes yep. photography super simple. But this I've is, never actually shot the uh, medium format version. This is what I loved about this. I mean, I've I've had medium format cameras in the past. I had a Fuji GA645i, which was essentially an autofocus uh, medium format point and shoot. I also had a Mamiya 645 Pro TL, and I bought a bunch of lenses for that, and that was all great and lovely. But again, the time and patience you need for those cameras uh, to go out and take the shots and the cost as well, it just didn't really suit my style of medium format. I mean, honestly, no, I'd love to get a Hasselblad at some point because uh, I think that they're beautiful cameras and uh, I love that square format. But the Lomo LCA 120 is uh, Lomo Lomography sent me this um, and it's such a great camera. It shoots in a square. The best way I can describe it, it is a, it's a, it's like a medium format Olympus XA2. You just uh, choose your distance on the side and in, in a very, with a very primitive lever and you just go out and take shots. It's really, there's no focus involved. Everything is sort of uh, aperture priority uh, and focused in that way. Um, and you just shoot. You can also um, do, um, oh, what do you call it when you shoot multiple frames and keep Double shooting exposure. over the same frame? My brain isn't working this time in the morning. So you can pull, press a button and you can keep exposing the same frame as many times as you like. Graphy look to it. And it's, it is very, very sharp, this camera, and you get lovely vignetting. Um, but it's a, it's a great way to get out with uh, medium format and just have fun without getting too caught up in the preciousness of medium format, if that makes sense. Mm. Oh, totally. I know people who baby their, their cameras like their Hasselblads or their expensive Mamiya's, especially the 6 and the 7. That's why I like my uh, M645. It's It was given to me free by an old wedding photography, photographer who beat the shit out of it, and it's just it still works and i have the uh, 500c as my hasselblad and it's just all the cheapest lenses i can get for it and so i just don't worry about it yeah i mean there's part of me that's always nagging to shoot medium format portraits and you know i think ultimately i will at some point get a, a hasselblad because i love that six by six format also because i mean I, i've got a tlr in my cupboard uh yashika 635 and it's, you know, when you look down and the up is the down and the left is the right, it's mm -hmm. just, oh, it's like trying to play, I don't know, Microsoft Flight Simulator from the 90s on a keyboard or something. It's just, oh. <laughs> it's, it's awful. It's too much. Whereas I believe the Hasselblad has one less plane of, you know, I think the up isn't the down, if that makes sense. It, it's one of the axes is gone so that it's yeah. not as difficult to sort of level off a shot. Mm -hmm. it, I find those things too punishing. Oh, you know? yeah. I, I love shooting my Roloflex TLR. It's just, it was my second, no, third medium format camera, third TLR, and just, just gotten used to it. So yeah, I don't like that. The other one I like is the Bronica RF645, but those things aren't cheap. Uh, no, none of those ones are. Right? Yeah. The, They're in the same range as the uh, Mamiya 6 and the 7. Yeah, yeah. And I think the problem is, again, I, you know, every roll I shoot, half the shots are deliberately junk anyway. And if I'm doing that with medium format and sending it off to be developed, it's, it's not a good practice and it's not good for the wallet. So, uh, I, 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 yeah, I've, I've learned a lot of expensive lessons. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. So moving on to some of these range finders, and let's start with, oh, the Hymatic E. Oh, yes. That um, is, I'm sure that is a great camera. I, my first camera was a 7S. Yeah. Well, I think this, this is a, it's a late 60s or very early 70s uh, automatic rangefinder. So there were loads around at the time. Um, Olympus had their RD and RC and DC series. Um, yes, uh, Canon had the QL17s. Um, this camera is just gorgeous it's it, it's also got this lovely i've got it in black so it's the minolta hymatic e um and it everything about just the shape of it this boxy black range finder look is just something that's so timeless and classic and it's beautiful to hold um i feel like someone from man from uncle so it's got this spy spy vibe to it it's got a beautiful it's got the original lens hood on it as well and this camera has a minolta rockor qf 40 mil f 1.7 lens and what I love about this camera is 
the lens is just superb on it. It is really sharp in the middle, but it's got lovely softness. And there's just something truly magical about this camera. A lot of people um, have a problem with the shutter button because it's it's just quite soft when you go down. It's It's got quite a long travel. Um, and it can be a pain to get batteries for this camera now, uh, but there are workarounds. But I just think it's absolutely beautiful. It's so dense and heavy. Um, and the way it fits into the hand, it's got a lovely travel on the lens, um, a nice nice viewfinder. These are getting quite hard to find clean now. They're mm. of an era where a lot of these cameras, as you know, Alex, are you know, full of fungus and haze and things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I got this from Japan. It was top mint plus plus plus, as they all are. But um, <laughs> um, I paid a bit over the odds for it. But it, it was, it is just beautiful. It's just got that lovely black shiny uh, rangefinder look, um, and I highly recommend one. I mean, there are lots of those. There, there's a lot of cameras in the Hymatic range, and I think they're mm. all all pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 7S was just a great camera for me to start with. Yeah, and just sent me down the road of Minolta, and I still shoot two Minolta cameras today, an XC7 and a Maxim 9. Oh, lovely. Oh, also, what I love about this camera is you just focus and you shoot, um, and it's that automation, that slight bit of automation. You just focus. Um, it sorts everything else out for you. There's no thought mm. involved, and you do get good shots. So it's kind of a, a nice little package there. Yeah. And sticking on the Minolta theme, you have one of the uh, great um, cameras that they uh, produced in uh, cooperation with Leica. Yes. This was the uh, big FU to Leica. Um, this is the, is the Minolta CLE. So uh, I'm sure a lot of you know that Minolta um, got into bed with Leica in the 70s and 80s uh, mm -hmm. to make the Leica CL uh, because no one was buying Leicas. Leicas were too expensive. Uh, and Minolta uh, miniaturized and made uh, a smaller, more compact version of, of um, a Leica camera called a CL, which sold really, really well. And I believe it started to sort of ca cannibalize the sales of their main cameras. So they stopped um, working with Minolta. But what Minolta did was then they made a version of their own. And this was the Aperture Priority version called the Minolta CLE. So I believe this was made in about 80 or 81, but it is essentially um a compact leica m7 and it was aperture priority before leica had aperture priority it takes m mount lenses and it is just gorgeous i got mine off a uh, german company um, i used to have a leica m7 and um i loved it but again like my yashika t5 and various other sort of precious cameras i just i was too I, I treated it with kid gloves. I just was too careful with it. And also, if I'm honest, it was the camera through which I learned that I was more a, an SLR person than a rangefinder person. Um, I, I like to see what I'm seeing, if that makes mm. sense. I, I, and with a rangefinder, I always feel a little disconnected from reality when I'm trying to focus. I never felt as confident about hitting focus with a rangefinder and the rangefinder patch. Whereas with an SLR, I, what I see is what I get, if that makes sense. Oh, um, I, I totally get it. I feel the same way every time I shoot a rangefinder. In fact, in my whole collection, I only really have one rangefinder. Yeah, an old Contact 3A. Right. And yeah, I will keep that for a future uh, World War II combat photographer impression. <laughs> Just to, to, to beat beat zombies and mutants over the head with. Or Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> But this this camera is lovely. It's it's um, a lot of people wax lyrical over it, and I can understand why. It's got really nice, generous viewfinder. Um, I find the focus patch better than the Leica M7. It's lighter. It's more compact. Um, I've on it. I've currently got my Canon 50mm 1.4 LTM lens, which is a beautiful uh, lens for taking portraits with. And the other thing is uh, with this camera now, the challenge with cameras. Um, like this is, you know, one day when they go, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So if if the electronics go on this, uh, you've got an expensive but beautiful doorstop. Uh, unlike, you know, with a lot of Leicas, there's lots of things you can still repair. But these things are still going for the body you can buy for around £400. Now, you know, that's five Leica M7s, five mm. of those for one Leica M7. And I think <laughs> in terms of value and usability, I find this much easier to use than the Leica M7. Um, 
it is a gorgeous camera um and it's one for i actually had a custom case built for it half case nice uh, which is black leather with a red dyed interior um <laughs> as you do yeah 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 the final rangefinder that i have that i see here is a Roly XF35. Yeah. Now I take it this was built in the 70s when the manufacturing was moved over to, oh, where was it moved to? Singapore. Singapore. Yeah, this one is made in Singapore. Um, I love this camera. It's again, it, it reminds you of the Minolta Hymatic E. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a small, you just um, rangefinder basically. Uh, it's small, it's plastic, it's very small actually, uh, and I love the pocketability of it. But I love uh, Rolleye cameras, the the design of them are always beautiful, very, very German. Um, and it has that lovely, beautiful rangefinder look to it, really punchy, um, square design um, with that lovely Rolleye logo on it. It's got a, a 40 millimetre f2.3 sonar lens on it, um, and it's is quite basic um you just uh, focus and you shoot it does everything else for you uh, which i really enjoy so it just uh, automatically chooses the right aperture uh, for whatever you're doing and shutter speed and automates everything so as a little pocketable camera um it, it and it looks so damn cool as well i love it and i, I th- i've i've been told that the problem with some of these is to buy one if you're looking for one check with the the vendor that the rangefinder is aligned because they can go out of alignment i've heard mm-hmm. but mine is fine so i'm all right okay and as you mentioned and i totally get it you are an slr guy yeah as am i and as is a lot of us here at uh at ccr especially james lee who has shot Leicas and rangefinders that have bought them and then realized he hates them and then sells them. Um, you have a lovely selection of SLRs here, and the one that there are several that stand out to me um, the Pentax ME Super. That is a camera that I love. I've shot, um, I've owned about three of them. So, an ME, um, which I ended up giving away. An Emmy Super that ended up at the bottom of an abandoned um, silo <laughs> after it fell through a hole. And then my most recent Emmy, which I ended up giving to a, a fellow photographer who was looking for a lightweight SLR. So what's your thoughts on the Emmy Super? This is actually, in a, in a way, this is probably my... I, I have favorite SLRs for all sorts of reasons. But for me, this is the SLR that I just in terms of actual feel and usage i find so instinctive and so easy and so compact to use i i love this i love this so much i actually bought two so i've got <laughs> i bought a spare so i've got two in black um so the pentax Emmy super is a i believe they came out in the late 70s um they're an slr that takes the pentax um k-mount lenses and they have aperture priority so you just choose your aperture and you shoot. Now, the, the ME Super has a fantastic viewfinder, really big and generous viewfinder. Um, and it's very, very quick and instinctive to shoot with this. A lot of people don't like the fact that to change the shutter um, speed, you, you, you there's two buttons that you press up to go up and down, uh, to move up and down shutter speeds. Personally, I, I don't use that anyway. I just shoot aperture priority um and focus and go but this camera i just everything about it the the feel of the the springy shutter sound um i love it so much and my favorite lens on this is just the the nifty 50 it's the 51.7 smc pentax okay the gorgeous the uh i always preferred the uh, 55 uh f2 okay i got one of those recently they're lovely aren't they they work great wide open yeah you get yeah. a beautiful out of focus area just magic and pentax cameras uh, these emmys and pentax lenses are very underpriced compared mm-hmm. to a lot of the competition and they are such good value i love this pentax um i've got the 40 mil pancake lens as well for this okay uh and a 28 mil and various other bits but i i also like adapting and using this for my um m42 lenses uh it's just a nice, nice size yeah and through that oh, viewfinder yeah. things are nice and easy but oh, yeah, yeah this is just it, it's my friend it's and it's a very compact camera as well for an slr i think it's one of the smallest slrs you can get Hmm. i think it's even i think it's about the same size as like an om1 
it might be smaller. I've got an OM2N in the cupboard, which I just don't like. I, I've, I've, okay. Yeah, I, I, I know people rate them. The metering's amazing. There's something about the lenses and the way everything works. I just find them a little clunky, personally. Uh, you oh, know, okay. It, it takes a bit to get used to. Um, I've recently gotten into Olympus. I got a 1N and a 2N, and having that shutter speed on the uh, lens mount is a bit of a is a bit of a difficult thing for me. But yeah, it, I it, I I always get confused. I move to the wrong one dial, yep. if you know what I mean. Um, oh yeah. Down. Um, but yeah, I, I I've always generally liked aperture priority. It, for me, it just really suits what mm -hmm. I do, mm -hmm. uh, and it's quicker. Yeah. And so the next one we have here is uh, Contacts Aria. Contacts Aria. Now I've shot a few Contacts SLRs. Um, the 137 I've um, borrowed from from Wu. Um, so what's your thoughts on the uh, Aria? Okay, so my my Contacts journey started with the RTS2. Uh, which is a, a beautiful camera. So it was, uh, I, I bought it, I'm a bit of an aesthete. I, I like pretty cameras. Uh, and the Contax um, RTS2 was designed by Porsche in the 80s. Uh, it's a black, very heavy metal um, SLR uh, in the Contax, uh, the CY mount. Um, and the display inside is very digital. It, it's like a, a, if Knight Rider was, the car was a camera, it would be the uh, Contax RTS2. Um, and it's it's a very good camera, but um, I decided to get another one. I got the Contax Aria, and what's great about the Aria, and a lot of people rave about this camera, it's very compact. It's um, more plastic, the body, but the shutter speed goes up to one four thousandth of a second, and it has a motor wind auto wind on. So it's very fast to use, um, and it is a, it feels luxurious, and it feels very sort of modern. Um, and I believe the Aria may have been early 90s um apparently people someone said it was a woman's camera I, I, someone said it contacts may have designed this for um a female market hence its sort of diminutive size but it is a gorgeous camera um now the great thing about uh, the contact cy mount is it's the one mount on which you can buy carl zeiss lenses at a very very good price so i partnered this camera up with probably my favorite of all time camera lens which is the Carl Zeiss Planar 50mm 1.4 it is such a classy lens it feels beautiful that the the look you get from it is wonderful it's light and compact and it just feels so well balanced the throw of it um, and everything is wonderful so I, I do love this camera so whenever I'm doing a pro shoot and I get a chance to take a film camera with me this is the one I'm most likely to take because it's the fastest to use. It winds itself on, and Makes with sense. this fifty, yeah, and with this fifty on it, it's just great. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I recommend this uh, camera highly. Nice, nice. So you mentioned um, now several times that you've been leaning more towards half frame, the economics of it, getting seventy-two shots a roll, and you have the Konica Auto Reflex. Now, if I recall correctly, that can do. Half frame. That's right. So the uh, now this is a, a an important distinction. There were lots of Konica auto reflex cameras, but it's the one with the the hyphen in between the words auto and reflex. So this is the Konica auto hyphen reflex, and this was made in 1966 by Konica. Uh, it's a big, heavy metal SLR. It is so solidly made, and it's beautiful and chunky. Uh, um, from that era where um, people made things to last. Mm -hmm. And by pressing, there's a switch you can flip at the top that says full or half, and that pushes in some blinds across the film plane, and it allows you to shoot half frame. And I, I love half frame, uh, as I've said before, because it's cheap, uh, and it allows you to be less precious uh, when you shoot. And I also have, I've got like a uh, an Olympus Pen E2, which is essentially a half-frame Olympus trip, and they're great. But what I was missing with half-frame was the ability to really focus uh, mm. and, and get get depth of field uh, and have that proper level of control. So this um, this camera does it. Now this camera has shutter priority, so you set your shutter speed, uh, and then you look through the viewfinder, and what it does is a little uh, red marker will tell you which aperture to set the the lens to, uh, and then you can just focus and shoot. But it's got a lovely lens on the front. This is a Konica Hexanon 52mm 1.8. And I believe there's a, a 1.4, which is really nice as well. Um, 
but these are solid, uh, just really solid, lovely cameras. And uh, I like a chunky camera. I've got no problem with the camera bit with a bit of weight on it. Nice. Um, yeah. And last but certainly not least, and a favorite here on CCR, James Lee has one. And I've had a chance to shoot one of these twice. And that's the Nikon, or as I've been sort of realizing, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Most people say it's Nikon. Um, the FM3A. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the one that I suppose this is, um, I've written a piece on it. Um, I think it was for 35MMC. I call it my desert island camera. I think this is the one camera I would have if I could only have one camera. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. And so I'm glad I've got it. Well, I say I again, it belongs to my wife. Um, but uh, it's in primo mint condition. It's had one, one owner only. Um, and this camera essentially combined i think the f and the fe it combined basically this was nikon's swan song it was the last um slr they made before they went digital uh it was made from i believe 2000 to 2006 um and it was designed to very high tolerances now what i love about this camera is that you can uh, take the batteries out and it shoots at fully full manual to one four thousandth of a second and so just think about that for a second that is incredible imagine the engineering that's gone into something that shooting without a battery and the full mechanics lets you shoot at one four thousandth of a second um this camera has uh, aperture priority which i love and the great thing about it is uh it's got a hybrid shutter so if it decides the shutter speed for a particular aperture should be one one hundred and twenty ninth of a second that's what it will shoot at so it's not shooting at just a precise shutter speed. It's shooting at every single shutter speed in, that you can imagine in between, um, you know, zero and one four thousandth of a second. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So the metering, and the metering on this and the exposure is always superb. It is so wonderfully and beautifully built. And um, the viewfinder is nice and generous. It's got a lovely uh, dial um, meter uh, that moves up and down it just mm. lets you know your shutter speed inside it's nice and crisp and clear and um also what i like about it is that it's you know new in the world of slrs film slrs it's um it, it's very new you know this this i bought in 2006 and it was brand new then so it's only what 14 years old uh which is <laughs> quite quite a big deal nowadays with cameras dying left left right and center um and on this uh, I use the Nikkor 50mm 1.2 AIS, which nice. is as heavy as the camera itself. Oh, yeah. It is a massive chunk of metal and glass, but such a beautiful lens to shoot with. And, you know, um, the great thing is you can go down to 1.2 and because you've got a shutter speed of a 4,000th of a second, so even in quite bright light, you can shoot shallow depth of focus and not be overexposing. Nice. So that's a really nice combination. Uh, but this lens is probably my, you know, along with the um, Carl Zeiss 51.4, probably my, the, my two favorite portrait lenses um, on my SLRs. Oh, I'll bet. But I'll again, bet. I, I mean, I, again, I kind of, you know, I didn't want to let go of my Leica M7 because it was so nice and it's probably tripled in price since I bought it. But I, I use slrs a lot more and i have to keep reminding myself because sometimes i have a bit of like a lust and i'm sitting there on ebay wanting to pull the trigger on an m6 but then i always ask myself would you actually use it, Anna? would you actually use this thing properly mm -hmm. in the way that you use it and the answer is no and the fact that for well you can buy probably four or five fm3a bodies for the price of an m7 body oh yeah it's, it's crazy and i don't i don't understand it I, it it's that that whole you know the the mystique of Leica and, and Leicas are very clever. Um, they're like Rolex, aren't they? They're they're a clever brand in that there's a mystique about them, but they do feel great. A Leica fan, uh, M, M camera does feel fantastic in the hand. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, oh yeah, beautiful to hold. Um, but yeah, I've had to be a lot more practical um, over the last few years. Um, so there's no more sort of uh, sudden. Um, impulsive purchases like that happening in this house <laughs> unfortunately yeah, that is so true everywhere so just to wrap it up you've recently um published um you're you're also known for publishing a great deal of photo books and zines what is your most recent one uh yeah i've um recently 
made a book called City by the Sea. So I live near Brighton and I spent a lot of time um, on the streets of Brighton over the last five years uh, capturing photography. And uh, I decided to make a book uh, with some of my favourite shots. Uh, in that process, I've realised I may have to do another book because uh, I've got so many favourite shots. Uh, but I made a, a book called um, City by the Sea, um, and it's available, um, if you're interested, from fistfulofbooks.com. Um, uh, they've still got some copies left. Um, and um, yeah, it's full. It's 56 pages in length. It's uh, full of black and white photography, uh, mostly digital, I would say, because uh, that a lot of the time when I'm capturing very quick street shots, that's the, the medium I work with. Um, and yeah, from fistfulofbooks.com. So if you'd like a copy, uh, knock yourself out. Well, I will probably uh, hop on there and uh, order one because I always love a good photo book and supporting fellow photographers. So, Anil, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show and reaching out to me. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and we definitely have a wide range of cameras, more than what we normally do on an episode and from some brands that we haven't really featured much. So thank you so much for that. No, you're very welcome. I've, I've always enjoyed your show and it's uh, nice to think I'm a, I'm a part of an episode now. There you go. Um, and if people want to uh, find me in the yes. digital world, uh, you can, my website is um, anilmysteryphoto.com. That's A-N-I-L-M-I-S-T-R-Y photo.com. I'm on Instagram at Anil Mystery Photo, and I'm on Twitter at Anil Mystery. Perfect. And um, we will definitely um, have those linked in our episode notes so people can just click through. I highly recommend following his work. He's just, you are a brilliant photographer. Oh, thank I've you. I've always looked up to your work and um, strive to... Uh, take inspiration from it oh, thank you alex it's been a real pleasure well that wraps it up for this show thank you again to both matt and Anil for coming on to the show and for you our listeners and just as a reminder there's still time to send in your personal camera reviews for our 100th episode you have till the end of february please send it in to classic camera revival at gmail.com we've already gotten four so hopefully we can add a few more and also keep an eye out on facebook a whole bunch of us film photography podcasts are getting together to build a singular group in which we can participate with you our audiences that's it for me have yourself a great day stay safe and remember get out there shoot some cool film photos